We just sung about living by faith and feeling no alarm. Paul reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have those who love to read the Bible and spend a great deal of time reading the Bible. But there's not many who really want to study the Bible to get down to really see what it has to say. I'm living by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If I'm going to live by the Word of God, I need to have an understanding of what it is that the Word of God is teaching and what it, how it applies to me in the life that I live. The writer of the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter of that book, has these words to say. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And how would you know that it was framed by the word of God? Except by the word of God and how it records what was what had taken place when God created the world. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, yet speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All of that comes from our desire to know God and from the word that he's left us along the way. But ours is to take the time to read how these things fit together and how we put together. How do you put together passages that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? With whoever believes on the Lord shall be saved. With he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. How do they how are they the same? And is there differences between them? And if so, what? To figure out and to take the time to see what it is that God is saying and teaching takes an effort. It's not something that we can do sporadically. But it's something that we need to do on a regular basis. Don't need to ask how many times you like to eat physical food. 
How often and how do you like to eat the spiritual food? To digest it. To mull it over. To think about what it is that God is saying and God is teaching. Somewhere down the line I received or somebody had given me a a bookmarker that's sitting on my desk at home. And I've often used the first couple verses of the psalm. But as I sit there and I read it and read that psalm, it takes on a little different meaning. And it's one that, how do we know what he's talking about? That we do not take the time to study what he has said and to put it together, as well as what we do in the New Testament. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows, shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where the voice is not heard. The line has gone out through all the earth, and the works and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. It's rising from one end of heaven and a circuit to the other end, and nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. How is it going to convert the soul if we do not take the time to read what it says? How is it going to convert the soul unless we see where the application is to us? Reading the scriptures and loving to read the scriptures is good. But taking the time to digest the scriptures, that takes effort. That takes a determination. That takes a lot of flipping pages and trying to put things together so that they can see where the application is for us. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. But again, how does he testify through his word? How do we learn the differences outside of saying, well, there's one called, one section called the Old Testament, and there's one section called the New Testament. But that within itself seems to have no application to the majority of the people in the religious world. They think the Old Testament is just as applicable today as the New Testament is. Why is that? Because they have not taken the time to study. To see how God has spoken, how he is speaking, and what's involved in what he has to say. And how it has an application to us. To make us wise, we have to spend the time learning and growing from it. I had mentioned in the auditorium class this morning that back in the days when you could be a shake tree mechanic, if you took a manual for that particular car and just read it, and just loved reading that manual, 
It really wouldn't do you any good in how to fix a car until what? You begin to put it into practice. Go out there with that car and see what it was and find out how it goes back together and so forth. The reading of it is not, it's good for getting God's word there. But what, is it, what does it mean? And how does it have application in our lives? That takes time. And we have to be willing to believe that the time that we would spend in doing that is a time worthwhile. And I know we're all limited in time. We all got the same 24 hours, and there's a lot of things being crammed in to that 24 hours that we have. But do we believe God's Word is worth knowing more about? In the Sunday morning class, we are studying the book of Philippians. And it's a short little book, if you will, and it's good to spend some time. Take the time to go back and read. How did the church start in Philippi? What are some of the things that Paul is discussing as he goes through the book of Philippi and mentions? It takes time to go and find those things. Some of them we know quickly where to go. But it takes an effort to tie, okay, how does that all fit in? And again, knowing God and knowing the way that we know God is going to be through his word. We can see his handiwork, but to know God, we're going to have to get into his word. And again, that is going to take some time on our part. The statutes of the Lord are righteous. Rejoice in the heart. His word, his commandments, his teachings are righteous. Reading on them and learning of them and seeing how they make an ap- how we make an application of them into our lives. They're right. Are we going to spend the time to learn what they are? To take the time to learn again, just those passages that we read so casually, passages that we may have memorized and have in our mind and can recite and meditate upon from time to time, but what do they really mean? Take 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Take time to read not just the words, but take time to learn what he's saying in that chapter. Why does he begin the way that he does? And how does that description of love have an application to us? And what is he talking about things passing away? And that which is eternal will stay. What does he mean when he talks about looking in the mirror dimly? But then one day he's going to be, he will know as he is known. And how long love lasts? Takes time. But as we learn those lessons, it changes life, does it not? When I learn and read about loving my neighbor as myself, when I read about loving your enemies and doing good to them who persecute you, when I can learn how Jesus describes that and how he lived that, it changes then how that takes place. 
How can I love my enemies? Are they not a contradiction of terms? How can you love somebody who's your enemy that you hate or not dislike? How does that work out? Do I want to know? Do I want to take time to read as we, when we were studying, you know, in Ephesians about the obligations of wives, the obligations of husbands, the obligations of parents, of children and then parents, then of servants, and then of masters. How does that have an application to me in my life today? Do I want to know? John, or John records the words of Jesus in John 12, and verse 48, when he says, the words that I have spoken, these are the words that will judge you in the last day. You want to know what you're going to be judged by? Always sort of enjoyed the teachers when you had them in school that would give you hints along the way. He said, you know, this would make a good list question. This would make a good essay question. This would make a good whatever it is that they were teaching and they would give you hints, which means those would be some good points to study and to look at. And it's not just for a test. We're not looking to read and to study and to gain a, a comprehension just because we want to pass a final test on that day of judgment. But why does God say all of that? What's his purpose behind it? What is he striving to do? What is he wanting out of us as he gives us a fairly thick book to read through? No, to, to study through. To see how those applications was. Do I learn anything as I read those, what we might call boring books? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The historical books that just recite to us the history of Israel and their conflicts with the enemies that were surrounding them and the battles that went on from centuries and centuries. What purpose is all of that? What do I learn from it? And what is it I need to do in my life? Do they really rejoice the heart as you study them? Does it lift your soul as you learn how God works? Again, back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows forth his handiwork. For what purpose is all of that? Drop over to Job 38 and read from there. When Job is wanting to question God, why have you done this? Why have I gone through all of this? And then to read, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Explain to me if you know. Why did, why did I set things in motion the way that they are? Why is it that I read from Genesis 1-1 way over into the New Testament? Do I grasp in that, the loving, patience, and forbearance, grace, and mercy of our God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
how long-suffering he is with us, how deeply he has loved us in his plan of redemption, and what it means to him for us to acknowledge him as Father, to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, to render obedience to them, desire to learn as the Holy Spirit has given us his word, the depths of his love, his desire that we would be with him, to take the full impact, if you will, of John 14, 1 through 3, of his preparing a place for us in heaven and coming again to receive us unto uh, to himself, that where he is we may be also. The read of that glorious hope that a child of God has. As Paul addresses the Thessalonians. That the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will be raised in the twinkling of an eye. Be changed in the twinkling of an eye. To be up in the air with the Lord and forever to be with the Lord. I think about that. I thought about that a little bit in one of the songs we sung. Jesus is coming to the earth again. So, no, he's not coming to the earth again. Paul says we will rise to meet him in the air. Peter described this earth will be burned up and all its elements with intense heat. He's not coming to the earth again. But until that day, that love and that patience and long-suffering of God to bear with us, to encourage us to do his will, the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. We may see him as harsh at times. We may see him as restrictive. The world does. The world thinks he's very restrictive, very unrealistic, very demanding, restrictive in what he wants. You can only do this, and this is the only thing you can do. This is the only way that it can be done, be pleasing to God. But they're pure. It's to draw man to God. To show us our deep need for him and his willingness to work with us. How patient he works with us as we're children who make mistakes so often, so frequently. But we're still children of his. And his long-suffering is that delight to see his change and to see his grow. To see his Go through the trials and the tribulations of life and to be able to say, I fought the fight. I've kept the course. I've finished the, the race. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, has promised not only to me, but also for all of those who love his appearing. It's for us. Because he wants us. He desires us. Things happen in our lives that we may view as bad, but oftentimes they're lessons for us to learn. That comes through our desire to want to know what they are. They're enlightening the eyes. They enlighten what we can see. The more we read and study, the more we see how these pieces fit together, the more how we can see is just a, a beautiful book that describes the depths of God's love then we can see how these pieces fall into place, that puzzle. So many times working with puzzles is like me and it's not like Jeanette. She can take one of those thousand-piece puzzles and sit there and put that thing together with no problems. 
I sat down and looked at it and said, nope, not me. Somebody else can do that one. But when you put them together, outside the pieces that Abby gets, if you put them together, they give a beautiful, beautiful picture, do they not? Fantastic to see what those puzzles are when they're put together and all the pieces fall into place. That's our life. That's our life. All the pieces of our life will fall into place. They all have a place. They all have a purpose. They all give an emphasis to one side or another. That's what God's Word says. If we will listen and follow Him. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear, not a dread, but a respect, a deep respect for God is clean. It's Excuse me. It saves you from the world in which we live. They get so caught up. And when you can step outside this world that we live and just again catch a glimpse of what it really looks like. The patience of God. How can he look down on us? As a world in general, how can he look down on us? And see the chaos that we have created. To see the animosity that we have generated. And how sad it is. To see that when it hits. God's people. When they have that animosity. When they have that individuality. And and not this. We are the body of Christ. So when he takes that time in 1 Corinthians 12 to describe that, do we see it? Do we catch the image that he's portraying there? Do we understand when he is the head of the body and we are the body? Do we catch what he's saying and how that applies? And the importance of it and doing his will is the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We live in a world that says God cannot be. Because he would not allow that to take place. The Bible tells me his judgments are true and righteous. I may not fully comprehend that. Maybe any more than I did when I was a child and being corrected by my my parents. I didn't understand the whys at the time. But time unfolds and I understand it better. Now it's fun to watch the children in there with their children. And have that little smile on your face. When they said, I want to be just like dad. And then they get a son who's going to be just like they were. The challenge. But they're righteous. And they're true. There is no fault in what God has done. There is no fault in what God is doing. You gather that as you study his word. How long has he bore with Israel? How long has he taught them, been patient with them, forgave them, 
chastised them, punished them, forgave them, chastised them, punished them. And yet his love endures forever. How does he do it with us? Because of his great love. The true and judge and righteous all together. More to be, desired, to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Is that true? Do you desire the judgments of the Lord and his righteousness more than you do gold? Yea, fine gold, the things of the world? Do you believe that they are true? And the only way that you can know more about them is to delve into his word and spend that time there. You ever get into studying the passage and you get carried away? Before you know it, hours have passed. There's a richness in there. The deeper you delve, the richer it becomes. And the longer you study, the richer it becomes. So the more we're into it, it becomes precious to us. The psalmist is trying to bring out. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. As I read and I study, I see the warnings. God is saying, you need to be careful. His word will teach us you need to be careful. Do not let an unbelieving heart get into you. Do not let an evil heart take place in your heart, in your life. Watch what you put in. Watch what you put into your mind. Watch what you meditate upon. Watch what you look forward to within your life. We're warned by his word, and keeping them there's a great reward. It's not just a great reward of eternal life in heaven with God. That is there. That is a great reward. But it's a great reward. How pleasant it is and how good it is when brethren dwell together in unity. There's a blessing there. And it has this great reward as we understand who we are in the eyes of God. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from, my, from, cleanse me from secret faults. Oh, will we have any of those? Are we willing to listen to that one? Take them out of my life. You know what they are. You know they're in your life. Cleanse me. Cleanse me from these. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let me know. Your word will teach me. Don't pursue the things of the world. They're only temporary. They're going to fade away. Don't go for what you can see with the eye and not what you see with the, the heart. Be careful what we pursue. Then I shall be blameless, and, they, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. And then the last verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Is that not the goal of study of his word? Is that not the goal of wanting to know more about God who is in heaven? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what I think about, may be acceptable 
and the eyes of God. As he looks at your heart, are they acceptable to God? We understand we're children. We understand we're imperfect. But as in the life of a child, is there, is there that simplicity of love of wanting above all else to be found pleasing in the eyes of God? Are you coming to Jesus tonight? Do we listen to those words as we sing them? Songs are written to edify us. Songs are written to draw us closer to God. We teach and we admonish one another in our psalms and our hymns and our spiritual songs. Is that our desire to be in Christ? The life is not where it ought to be. You know it. God knows it. And God's desire is that you can change and that you will change. So an opportunity is given not only in the physical life we have to live, but in opportunities such as this evening to be able to make that decision. Be it to renew that life in Christ Jesus or whatever the need may be. If we can assist you or help you in making that decision, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.